Book four, sections five through ten of Politics by Aristotle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Politics by Aristotle. Translated by Benjamin Jowett. Book four, section five. Of oligarchies, too, there are different kinds. One where the property qualification for office is such that the poor, although they form the majority, have no share in the government, yet he who acquires a qualification may obtain a share. Another sort is when there is a qualification for office, but a high one, and the vacancies in the governing body are fired by co-optation. If the election is made out of all the qualified persons, a constitution of this kind inclines to an aristocracy if out of a privileged class, to an oligarchy. Another sort of oligarchy is when the son succeeds the father. There is a fourth form, likewise hereditary, in which the magistrates are supreme, and not the law. Among oligarchies, this is what tyranny is among monarchies, and the last-mentioned form of democracy among democracies. And, in fact, this sort of oligarchy receives the name of a dynasty, or rule of powerful families. These are the different sorts of oligarchies and democracies. It should, however, be remembered that in many states the constitution which is established by law, although not democratic, owing to the education and habits of the people, may be administered democratically. And conversely, in other states the established constitution may incline to democracy, but may be administered in an oligarchical spirit. This most often happens after a revolution, for governments do not change at once. At first the dominant party are content with encroaching a little upon their opponents. The laws which existed previously continue in force, but the authors of the revolution have the power in their hands. Section 6 From what has been already said, we may safely infer that there are so many different kinds of democracies and of oligarchies. For it is evident that either all the classes whom we mentioned must share in the government, or some only and not others. When the class of husbandmen and of those who possess moderate fortunes have the supreme power, the government is administered according to law. For the citizens, being compelled to live by their labor, have no leisure, and so they set up the authority of the law and attend assemblies only when necessary. They all obtain a share in the government when they have acquired the qualification which is fixed by the law. The absolute exclusion of any class would be a step towards oligarchy. Hence all who have acquired the property of qualification are admitted to a share in the constitution. But leisure cannot be provided for them unless there are revenues to support them. This is one sort of democracy, and these are the causes which give birth to it. Another kind is based on the distinction which naturally comes next in order. In this, every one to whose birth there is no objection is eligible but actually shares in the government only if he can find leisure. Hence, in such a democracy, the supreme power is vested in the laws, because the state has no means of paying the citizens. A third kind is when all free men have a right to share in the government, but do not actually share, for the reason which has been already given, so that in this form again the law must rule. A fourth kind of democracy is that which comes latest in the history of states. In our own day, when cities have far outgrown their original size and their revenues have increased, all the citizens have a place in the government, 
through the great preponderance of the multitude, and they all, including the poor who receive pay, and therefore have leisure to exercise their rights, share in the administration. Indeed, when they are paid, the common people have the most leisure, for they are not hindered by the care of their property, which often fetters the rich, who are thereby prevented from taking part in the assembly or in the courts, and so the state is governed by the poor, who are a majority, and not by the laws. So many kinds of democracies there are, and they grow out of these necessary causes. Of oligarchies, one form is that in which the majority of the citizens have some property, but not very much, and this is the first form, which allows to any one who obtains the required amount the right of sharing in the government. The sharers in the government being a numerous body, it follows that the law must govern, and not individuals. For in proportion as they are further removed from a monarchical form of government, and in respect of property have neither so much as to be able to live without attending to business, nor so little as to need state support, they must admit the rule of law and not claim to rule themselves. But if the men of property in the state are fewer than in the former case, and own more property, there arises a second form of oligarchy. For the stronger they are, the more power they claim, and having this object in view, they themselves select those of the other classes who are to be admitted to the government. But, not being as yet strong enough to rule without the law, they make the law represent their wishes. When this power is intensified by a further diminution of their numbers and increase of their property, there arises a third and further stage of oligarchy, in which the governing class keep the offices in their own hands, and the law ordains that the son shall succeed the father. When, again, the rulers have great wealth and numerous friends, this sort of family despotism approaches a monarchy. Individuals rule and not the law. This is the fourth sort of oligarchy, and is analogous to the last sort of democracy. Section 7 There are still two forms besides democracy and oligarchy. One of them is universally recognized and included among the four principal forms of government which are said to be 1. Monarchy, 2. Oligarchy, 3. Democracy, and 4. The so-called aristocracy or government of the best. But there is also a fifth, which retains the generic name of polity, or constitutional government. This is not common, and therefore has not been noticed by writers who attempt to enumerate the different kinds of government. Like Plato, in their books about the state, they recognize four only. The term aristocracy is rightly applied to the form of government which is described in the first part of our treatise, for that only can be rightly called aristocracy, which is a government formed of the best men absolutely, and not merely of men who are good when tried by any given standard. In the perfect state, the good man is absolutely the same as the good citizen, whereas in other states the good citizen is only good relatively to his own form of government but there are some states differing from oligarchies and also differing from the so-called polity or constitutional government. These are termed aristocracies, and in them the magistrates are certainly chosen, both according to their wealth and according to their merit. Such a form of government differs from each of the two just now mentioned and is termed an aristocracy. For indeed in states which do not make virtue the aim of the community, Men of merit and reputation for virtue may be found. And so, where a government has regard to wealth, virtue, and numbers, as at Carthage, that is aristocracy, 
and also where it has regard only to two out of the three, as the Lacedaemon, to virtue and numbers, and the two principles of democracy and virtue temper each other. There are these two forms of aristocracy in addition to the first and perfect state, and there is a third form, viz. the constitutions which incline more than the so-called polity towards oligarchy. Section 8 I have yet to speak of the so-called polity and of tyranny. I put them in this order, not because a polity or constitutional government is to be regarded as a perversion any more than the above-mentioned aristocracies. The truth is that they all fall short of the most perfect form of government, and so they are reckoned among perversions, and the really perverted forms are perversions of these, as I said in the original discussion. Last of all, I will speak of tyranny, which I placed last in the series because I am inquiring into the constitutions of states, and this is the very reverse of a constitution. Having explained why I have adopted this order, I will proceed to consider constitutional government, of which the nature will be clearer now that oligarchy and democracy have been defined. For policy or constitutional government may be described generally as a fusion of oligarchy and democracy, but the term is usually applied to those forms of government which incline towards democracy, and the term aristocracy to those which incline towards oligarchy, because birth and education are commonly the accompaniments of wealth. Moreover, the rich already possess the external advantages, the want of which is a temptation to crime, and hence they are called noblemen and gentlemen. And inasmuch as aristocracy seeks to give predominance to the best of the citizens, People say also of oligarchies that they are composed of noblemen and gentlemen. Now it appears to be an impossible thing that the state, which is governed not by the best citizens, but by the worst, should be well governed, and equally impossible that the state which is ill-governed should be governed by the best. But we must remember that good laws, if they are not obeyed, do not constitute good government. Hence there are two parts of good government. One is the actual obedience of citizens to the laws, the other part is the goodness of the laws which they obey. They may obey bad laws as well as good. And there may be a further subdivision. They may obey either the best laws which are attainable to them, or the best absolutely. The distribution of offices according to merit is a special characteristic of aristocracy, for the principle of an aristocracy is virtue, as wealth is of an oligarchy, and freedom of a democracy. In all of them there of course exists the right of the majority, and whatever seems good to the majority of those who share in the government has authority. Now in most states the form called polity exists, for the fusion goes no further than the attempt to unite the freedom of the poor and the wealth of the rich, who commonly take the place of the noble. But as there are three grounds on which men claim an equal share in the government, freedom, wealth, and virtue, for the fourth, or good birth, is the result of the two last, being only ancient wealth and virtue. It is clear that the admixture of the two elements, that is to say, of the rich and poor, is to be called a polity, or constitutional government, and the union of the three is to be called aristocracy, or the government of the best, and more than any other form of government, except the true and ideal, has a right to this name. Thus far, I have shown the existence of forms of states other than monarchy, democracy, and oligarchy, and what they are, and in what aristocracies differ from one another, and polities from aristocracies. That the two latter are not very unlike is obvious. 
Section 9. Next we have to consider how by the side of oligarchy and democracy the so-called polity or constitutional government springs up, and how it should be organized. The nature of it will be at once understood from a comparison of oligarchy and democracy. We must ascertain their different characteristics, and taking a portion from each, put the two together like the parts of an indenture. Now there are three modes in which fusions of government may be effected. In the first mode we must combine the laws made by both governments, say concerning the administration of justice. In oligarchies they impose a fine on the rich if they do not serve as judges, and to the poor they give no pay. But in democracies they give pay to the poor and do not fine the rich. Now, one, the union of these two modes is a common or middle term between them, and is therefore characteristic of constitutional government, for it is a combination of both. This is one mode of uniting the two elements. Or, two, a mean may be taken between the enactments of the two. Thus, democracies require no property qualification, or only a small one, from members of the assembly, oligarchies a high one. Here neither of these is the common term, but a mean between them. 3. There is a third mode, in which something is borrowed from the oligarchical and something from the democratical principle. For example, the appointment of magistrates by lot is thought to be democratical, and the election of them oligarchical. Democratical again, when there is no property qualification. Oligarchical, when there is. In the aristocratical or constitutional state, one element will be taken from each. From oligarchy, the principle of electing to offices. From democracy, the disregard of qualification. Such are the various modes of combination. There is a true union of oligarchy and democracy when the same state may be termed either democracy or an oligarchy. Those who use both names evidently feel that the fusion is complete. Such a fusion there is also in the mean, for both extremes appear in it. The Lacedaemonian constitution, for example, is often described as a democracy, because it has many democratical features. In the first place, the youth receive a democratical education, for the sons of the poor are brought up with the sons of the rich, who are educated in such a manner as to make it possible for the sons of the poor to be educated by them. A similar equality prevails in the following period of life, and when the citizens are grown up to manhood the same rule is observed. There is no distinction between the rich and poor. In like manner they all have the same food at their public tables, and the rich wear only such clothing as any poor man can afford. Again, the people elect to one of the two greatest offices of state, and in the other they share, for they elect the senators and share in the ephoralty. By others, the Spartan constitution is said to be an oligarchy, because it has many oligarchical elements. That all offices are filled by election and none by lot is one of these oligarchical characteristics. That the power of inflicting death or banishment rests with a few persons is another, and there are others. In a well-attempted polity there should appear to be both elements and yet neither. Also, the government should rely on itself, and not on foreign aid, and on itself not through the goodwill of a majority. They might be equally well disposed when there is a vicious form of government, but through the general willingness of all classes in the state to maintain the constitution. Enough of the manner in which a constitutional government, and in which the so-called aristocracies, ought to be framed. Section 10. 
of the nature of tyranny I have still to speak, in order that it may have its place in our inquiry, since even tyranny is reckoned by us to be a form of government, although there is not much to be said about it. I have already, in the former part of this treatise, discussed royalty or kingship according to the most usual meaning of the term, and considered whether it is or is not advantageous to states, and what kind of royalty should be established, and from what source, and how. When speaking of royalty, we also spoke of two forms of tyranny, which are both according to law, and therefore easily pass into royalty. Among barbarians there are elected monarchs who exercise a despotic power. Despotic rulers were also elected in ancient Hellas, called Essenites, or dictators. These monarchies, when compared with one another, exhibit certain differences, and they are, as I said before, royal, in so far as the monarch rules according to law over willing subjects, but they are tyrannical in so far as he is despotic and rules according to his own fancy. There is also a third kind of tyranny, which is the most typical form, and is the counterpart of the perfect monarchy. This tyranny is just that arbitrary power of an individual which is responsible to no one, and governs all alike, whether equals or better, with a view to its own advantage, not to that of its subjects, and therefore against their will. No freeman, if he can escape it, will endure such a government. The kinds of tyranny are such and so many, and for the reasons which I have given. End of Book 4, Sections 5 through 10